Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! Welcome to episode 88 of the Average Chiefs podcast. I'm Dale Lowell. Peter Jones is with me tonight. No Todd. Todd, I hope your son is doing well when you listen to this. Thanks to Rhonda and the folks at RM Management. Thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. Thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders. And thank you if you're listening. Three cents in the jar for Veterans Outreach of Wisconsin when you listen because of Bob Anderson and our anchor ad being that. Peter, it's nice to see you. How are you? I'm doing very good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I was out in the yard today. It is cooler here in Wisconsin than it is in the UK, which is not always the case. <laughs> yeah, temperatures here are crazy, 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 crazy. And most people don't have air conditioning and it's um, yeah, it's a bit unpleasant. You got a pool in your backyard? No. Not even like a mini pool, like so the dogs can go in it? We have a little pool for the dogs, but they won't go in it. They won't go in no. it? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> They're too bougie. Is that the word? Well, they think well, they think the pool's just a, a bath. That's the last thing they want. All right, Peter. Episode 88. Who is it? Yeah, for me, one name comes to mind, and that's Packers great tight end Ron Kramer. Packers first round pick of 1957, fourth overall pick in that draft was one of the very, very first dual-purpose tight ends. Great blocker from the tight end spot and a great receiver as well. You know, back previous to that, the, the tight end was pretty much just another offensive tackle. You know, Ron Kramer was, like I say, was one of the very first of those dual-purpose guys and was a great athlete. So it was, you know, was a great basketball player in college as well as a track and field guy, as well as a football guy. Had his number retired by the University of Michigan. So War 87 at Michigan, that number was retired. And years after he finished playing, we'll come back to his Packer story, but years after, years after he finished playing, he used to still visit the University of Michigan and would take apples in every week to the players and the coaches and stuff came known as the Apple Man. One year, one one of the, um, I guess, a freshman at, at Michigan asked one of the coaches, I guess it was probably Bo Schembechler at the time, who's that guy that keeps bringing in apples? And the answer he got was, that guy's the reason that you don't see anybody wearing number 87 around here. Played for the Packers in the, in, in the early 60s, 57 or 64. So as part of those championship teams in 61, 62, was an all-pro, pro bowler. And probably is one of those guys that's borderline Pro Football Hall of Famer and probably would have been if he'd played another three or four years at the level that he played at. After the 64 season, he asked to be traded back home from Green Bay to, to the Detroit area. Nothing to do with football. That was due to family issues that he wanted to move back home. And Lombardi granted that, that wish for him. So he moved back to Detroit and finished out his career playing for the Lions. Super tight end, super player. 
you know, super person. I got to know him just a little bit in the early 2000s and uh, Packers Hall of Famer and one of the very best at the Packers at the tight end spot. And Paul Kaufman, right, comes to mind, of course. It's probably the best tight end, would you say? Or, or would yeah. you say it would be Ron Kramer? Well, and I think there's always that debate. Kaufman put up the numbers, was a great receiving tight end. Kramer didn't quite put up the same numbers, but didn't play in the era in which anybody was putting up those those receiving numbers. And, sure. and I guess I'm a, I guess I'm a little bit biased towards Ron Kramer, but I think that you can make a case for either of those two guys being being the best tight end in in Packers history. And you know, my good friend um, Red Cochran one day was was drawing up the Packers sweep for me, and one of the many hours we spent talking about football. And he said that the tight end, you know, we talk a lot about the pulling guards and how great they were in that. But he, but he said the tight end block on the sweep was so crucial that people overlooked it. And it was that tight end block that as much as the pulling guards made that play go. You're right. There's a case for Kaufman or, or Kramer as the top tight end in Packers history. And I'm happy for either of those to be at, to be at the top. But certainly, you know, number 88. That's the immediate one that came to my mind, and we touched on this before the show. And you mentioned Keith Jackson, another great, great tight end for the Packers. Obviously, only played for the Packers for a couple of couple of seasons, but yeah. crucial part of that Super Bowl team, both the Super Bowl teams, '96 and '97, I guess. And not many other '88s that immediately would spring to mind. No, Bubba Franks and Jermichael yeah. Finley are the two that came to my mind. I forgot that Ty Montgomery wore '88. When he was with the Packers yeah. for a couple of years. I wonder if he's going to be in the league or not this year. Well, thank you, Ron Kramer. I love that part of the show, Peter. I do. I always learn something from you. Okay, so a couple of slices, and I appreciate you sending this to me. This, what do you call it? The senior semifinalist? How, how do you? How would you refer yeah. to these Hall of Fame possibilities? Senior semifinalists and the and the coach stroke contributor semi-finalist for the 2023 Pro Football Hall of Fame induction. And I think from a Packers perspective, this list is really interesting. So it's down to down to 25 players and 29 contributors. And the list's really interesting this year from a Packers perspective because there's lots of Packer names on the list. <laughs> Can we leave the Packers off of it and then talk about them at the end of this? Yeah, sure. So if we look at the seniors leaving the Packers off, I think there's there's a couple of names that spring out. The very first name on the seniors list, Kenny Anderson, quarterback for the Bengals in the 70s and through the mid-80s. I think he's probably one of the unluckiest players not yet to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. For me, he's probably the next quarterback that ought to ought to go in. You know, some other names in there that you think you're almost surprised that they're not Hall of Famers, Roger Craig of the 49ers. You know, he had that season where he rushed for a thousand yards and had a thousand yards receiving in the same season and, and, and was a really good running back for, for quite a period of time. Jumping down this list, I, I guess Chuck Howley of the Cowboys, linebacker, the only player who was a MVP on the losing team in a in a Super Bowl. So I think those guys are all, you know, really strong candidates. Joe Jacoby, what was the Redskins, Washington football team, the Washington Commanders, that's the name that you would think he's probably already in, but he isn't. And I guess the other one that, that comes comes to my mind on this list, I guess well, actually, I guess there's two, there's two others that come to my non-packers that come to my mind on this list. Billy White Shoes Johnson, who I'm a huge fan of, Oilers, Falcons, 
kick returner, punt returner, wide receiver, do-it-all guy, NFL All-Decade team of the seven is quite surprising that he's not in the in the Hall of Fame already. The other one for me is Clay Matthews Jr. of the Browns. You know, I've talked to um, his daughter Jennifer about his candidacy for the Hall of Fame before now. You know, was a finalist, a regular finalist last year. It's now in the seniors group. Would would certainly like to see him go in all the way through that that twenty five. I mean, you could you could look at all of those names and and you can make a case for those guys being Hall of Famers. You know, there's there's no real surprises in that list other than the surprising fact that some of them aren't already in the Hall of Fame. With Billy White Shoes Johnson, do you think, you know, so this comes from a conversation I was having on Twitter today with uh, Andy from NFL Outdated, Bears fan. Devin Hester may make the Hall of Fame. I, I think he should. It, my personal opinion is I think he changed the way kick returners and punt returners were looked at in the league. Like that became, I don't want to call it a, a solely a position weapon, but you could draft or find a guy that could change the game like Devin Hester from a returner standpoint. I would say that Billy White Shoes Johnson, from my memory as a kid, also changed the game that way. He was more of a returner than he was a wide receiver. It's a long-winded way of asking the question. <laughs> Is it better for Billy White Shoes Johnson if Devin Hester makes the Hall of Fame or worse? Is it harder for him to make it or easier if David Hester makes it? Yeah, great question. I, I think if they if if neither of them were in the senior group and they were competing in the, the current group of players, then I think it would be harder for both of them to both of them to get in. But actually, I think that probably on the balance of probability, I think if Hester gets in, it probably helps Billy White Shoes Johnson. If I'm re- if I'm really honest, because I don't think they're now in a competition for getting in, and I think it opens. One of them getting in will help the other because I think it will open the eyes of of the selectors to say, actually, players that were predominantly kick returners and punt returners, if they were that exceptional, do have a place. Totally agree. I think Devin Hester going in will make it more possible for Billy White Shoes Johnson to make it into the Hall of Fame. As I look down this list, Billy White Shoes Johnson sticks out to me as a player that I assumed was already in. Yeah. The other one for me that you didn't mention, there's two of them for me. One is Jim Marshall. How is Jim Marshall not in the Hall of Fame? Now, I think that Packers, certain Packers, Ron Kramer, let's say, gets hurt because there are too many Packers in the Hall of Fame. You can't see my quotes because this is an audio podcast. But I believe that because there are so many Packers in the Hall of Fame, there are guys on the fringe that get hurt because there's too many Packers. Jim Marshall is not similar, but I think because he was part of that defensive line, like, can you pick all of them to be in the Hall of Fame? I don't know that you can, and I don't know that they're all in the Hall of Fame. I'm just saying that I think that when you become part of a defense like that, that has a big name, somebody has to be out, left out. And I think it might be Jim Marshall, but he played in almost 300 games in a row as a defensive end. That's bananas. That to me puts you on the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry. I don't care if he had no tackles, no sacks, and no, no statistics at that time. That's amazing. It was his consecutive game record that Favre eventually yeah. broke. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and you're right. And I, and I think that the point about 
other players from the same team, and particularly in this case, the same defensive line being already in the Hall of Fame. I think that's such a great point. So that Vikings defensive line, the Purple People Eaters, Alan Page is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Defensive end Carl Eller is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Okay. And so then you've got Marshall and, and Gary Larson, who were the other two main guys in, in that group. And I've no doubt that Marshall suffers from the fact that the other two are in. That shouldn't happen. Absolutely shouldn't happen. But in my view, that's part of the reason. It, yeah. Just to go back to him super quick before I move on, his 282 games in a row is 58 games more than the next closest guy. That's now three full seasons and then some more than the next closest guy that I, that may be i know records are made to be broken and, and guys come along that break records that is going to be a tough one part of the argument against jim marshall was i'm not trying to answer this question really but i think part of the argument against him other than the fact that he played on that line particularly with page and ella was how good was he at his peak? Was his peak as good as some other players? And I think that's the same question that people ask about Clay Matthews Jr., who also played 20, 20 years in the in the NFL. You know, Marshall had two Pro Bowls. Clay Matthews Jr. had four Pro Bowls. You know, you, you're typically talking about, well, let's take Alan Page, was in the Pro Bowl nine times. That's that kind of comparison. Carl Eller was in the Pro Bowl six times. But I agree with you. I, I think that playing at a high level, even if, even if, and I'm not I'm not saying this because I didn't see him play, right, alive at least, but even if their peak wasn't quite as high as some of the other guys' peaks, their consistently high level of play over 18, 19, 20 seasons should be enough. For me, it should be enough. It's interesting you say that because I was looking down this list and you start looking at it because these are Hall of Fame possible guys. And you look at four Pro Bowls, five Pro Bowls, three Pro Bowls, and you start thinking, man, is that Hall of Fame worthy? If you were only the best at your position or one of the two best at your position three times, but for him, the longevity plus the great, in my opinion, puts him in the Hall of Fame. I don't know about Clay Matthews. Same idea. Played for a very long time. At a, he was a, a really good player. I don't know what will happen. The other guy for me, because I was a huge Raiders fan as a kid, is Lester Hayes. I don't know that Lester Hayes will make the Hall of Fame, but I would love to see him make the Hall of Fame because he was one uh, of my I, favorites. Yeah, and, and, and I think that, Again, you know, you raise this thing, does does Lester Hayes suffer from the fact that he played opposite Mike Haynes? I don't know the answer to that, but, you know, it's a similar thing to, to Marshall and, and and those guys. It's it's a question that you have to, that you have to ask. We're one of the because that's a dominant cornerback duo, Mike Haynes and Lester Hayes. Different types of corners, but a dominant a dominant duo but when one of them gets in does it become more difficult for the second one to get in and I, and I and I think so you know I agree with you uh, with Lester Hayes I think he should be in does the whole stickum thing count against him all these years later it counts it for him in my opinion <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> change the game the other guy and I don't know this guy from Adam or his name I never saw it before Maxi is it Bond yeah Nine-time Pro Bowler. He played 11 years, I think, if I'm doing this math right. 
he was a pro bowler nine times. He played linebacker for the Rams, the Eagles. And then he came back four years later after he played with the Rams, he played with the Redskins in 74. This is the craziest thing to me. He played <laughs> yeah. with the Rams from 66 to 70. And then in 1974, what do you just decide? Like, I, I'm not done. I'm coming back four years later, but he made the pro Bowl nine times. That puts him in. I don't know who he is, but that puts him in, in my opinion. I have to tell you, I've often wondered, and I know that Pro Bowls, not so much back then, but certainly now, are a popularity contest yes. and, 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 and everything else, and I, and, I, and I get all that. But, but I actually wonder whether it's something that I've kept meaning to explore, but I've, I've never got to, is, is whether there should be some, some kind of point system for all pro selections, pro bowl selections, et cetera, et cetera. And the players that reach, you know, a certain threshold of points ought to automatically go in. That doesn't stop some of the others then being considered, but it's like they do it in golf for the golf hall of fames. You know, they, 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 they work on so many points gets you in certainly okay. in, in, into the, into the LPGA hall of fame that they have to get so many points, which are based on, you know, get so many points for winning majors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I wonder whether there's something in that. And I, and I know that there were fewer pro bowlers as you go back the years. The pro bowl rosters weren't the 53 that they are now, though. But you could work, you could work, surely work a system. I think um, it was clearly, clearly worth more back in the day than it is today, where it's completely a popularity contest. And it's always, not always, it's often a year late. Yeah. Guys have great seasons, and then all of a sudden they get it the next year, and you're like, oh, they weren't as good this year. So, yeah, I think back in the day it meant more than it does today. You could throw in things like NFL MVP awards and and, and that kind of thing, and, you know, you, you could have points for the number of years or the number of games that they played, so it takes into account some of the longevity. I, I'm sure there's some way of working that, but maybe when I've got a spare year, I might, <laughs> I might right, look at that. dive into that <laughs> instead of the draft guide. <laughs> so if we look at guys with Packer ties, Mark Clayton played a year at the Packers, known as a Dolphin, not really a Packer. He played like his last year as a Packer. Five-time Pro Bowler. I was surprised. I don't remember. I remember him being very good. I yeah. think he might be hurt by the fact he played with Dan Marino. And I think also you also you think of Clayton and you think of Mark Duper at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know the Marks, the, the Mark Marks twins. And, yeah, yeah. So so. Uh, and then there's Cecil Isbell. He only played five years. Yeah. So this is a really difficult one. So he got to the five. So when they did the 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 um, centennial class last year. He got to the final to the final twenty because ten went in, and he got to the final twenty. So he's close. The only thing that goes against him is that he play, his his career was just five years. Did he go fight in World War Two because he was like no, in that era? No, he went back to he went back to his college and and started coaching at his college, which, if memory serves me right, was Purdue, but I'm I'm not hundred percent certain. I think he told me that before. The first five years of his career, pretty much mirrored Sammy Barr's career. And in those five years, Isbell's numbers, his his achievements were way above Sammy Barr's in that same period. Of course, Sammy Barr went on to play a lot more years, but certainly when he was, he was the best of the best in the era in which he played. It's just that era was very short. You know, that 1942 season that Cecil Isbell had, which was his last year, was the best season of his career. So he, he threw for over 2,000 yards. It was the NFL's first 2,000-yard passer in 1942, which was also 
Don Hudson's best year. Hudson had 1,400-plus yards receiving that year. I think Isbell's one of those guys that's always going to be on the on the cusp. And I would love to see him get in, but I, like you, I think I think it's just the number of years work, work against him. The last packer on this list is Sterling Sharp. The case against is simple, right? He only played, what, seven years. That's the case against him. That's the only yeah. case against him, really, yeah. is that he played seven years. Because if he plays nine or ten years, he, he's for sure a Hall of Famer in my mind. It absolutely is the the number of years that he played. And he's now, had he played nine or ten years, right, he would have gone in as a regular Hall of Famer, not even made it anywhere near the senior class. He would have been inducted right. by long before he made the senior class. The problem now is with the senior, with him being in the senior class is that those people that didn't necessarily see him play are looking at statistical numbers which have no comparison to today's wide receiver statistical numbers. You know, when Sharp was setting those records in consecutive years, 108 receptions in one year, then 112 the next year, you know, those were all-time NFL records that he was setting. These days, lots of receivers have 100 100 catch seasons sure you know so sharp in his day was right up there was right up there with with jerry rice five-time pro bowler in his in his seven seasons is it only the longevity thing but he's got to be in at some point there is another packer you missed on that list but player yeah i apologize that's right and this is the one that i think has got actually got the best chance amongst the packers of getting in in this group and that's Laverne Lavi Dilweg. Dilweg was a multiple All-Pro end in the 1920s and early 1930s. Made the All-Decade, the NFL's All-Decade team of the 1920s. So it's one of the very, very few players from an All-Decade team eligible for the Hall of Fame who's not in. So he was a finalist again in the Centennial class last year. I think he's got a really good chance if the selectors are prepared to go back and look at the guys that played very early in, in the NFL's history. And when you look at this list, nearly all of these guys on this list are guys that have played 1960s onwards. I don't know whether that helps helps Lavi Dilweg or not, but it but he certainly should be in. I heard a story that when that when they did the the inaugural class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which I'm trying to think, I think was 1963. I I, I ought to know, but it's it's that kind of period that Dilweg very nearly got into that inaugural class. On that basis alone, he ought to be in the Hall of Fame. On the basis that he's one of the very, very few eligible players who made the all-decade team that's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, he ought to be in. What he doesn't have is statistics that support... Half the statistics weren't even kept back then, never mind about... (laughs) Right. Sacks didn't come until like 50 (laughs) years after he had retired. But one of those guys that played, obviously played both ways, played end on offense, end on defense, and was renowned as probably being a better defensive player than he was offensive, really good offensive. You know, I don't want to call him a wide receiver, but the precursor to the wide receiver. Sure. And the grandfather of Anthony Dilweg, who played for what? the Packers. And, yeah. How did I not know that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man, I'm learning stuff today. That's awesome. <laughs> who played for the Packers in 89, 90, 91, that, that period of time. That's going on Twitter. <laughs> Not right this second, but it's going on. He also played for the Milwaukee Badgers. Yeah. 
1926. That's awesome. All right. So I'm sorry I missed that. Thank you for that, because I totally whiffed on that one. Well, I was going to say, what would be an interesting thing, uh, I've just set myself a task to do, just out, just because I'm kind of obsessive about this kind of stuff, is is if he does get in, are there any other players that played for the Milwaukee Badgers that are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Pass for tomorrow, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> there are two coach contributors with Packers uh, history, Lee Remmel. Lee Remmel's got to be in the Hall of Fame, right? But I am super biased about this, but he has to go in. Before Mike Holmgren, who is also up, Lee Remmel is like a, he is iconic as a Packer fan. And I know that, you know, this is a National Football League award. It's certainly nice to see him recognized this far to get on, on this list. He won't make I, it, right? But he should. I would think so in amongst this in amongst this list. And I think a lot of that's going to be down to his name just, unless you're a Packer guy, his name just isn't going to jump out like a, some of the other names that might be on this list, like, a, I don't know, a Don Coriel that's on this list. Right, Bud Adams. Art Modell. Really the names scary. that kind of Dan Reeves, the kind of the names that Marty Schottenheimer, those kind of names that are going to be more in people's minds, I, I, I would have thought. But I mean, I mean, Lee, Lee Remmel's contribution to the Packers before he even worked for the Packers, obviously, you know, he worked for the Press Gazette. But, you know, he was watching Packers games in the 1920s, you know, an incredible source of knowledge of, about the Packers and about football. And there is a value to this guy was not creating the history, but he was he recording was the history before yeah. it was a thing to do to record the history of the league, you know, before NFL films and all that, there, there was Lee Remo. Yeah. I, again, I'm super biased. I will say it 8 million more times, but I think that there's something to that also. I a hundred percent, hundred percent agree. Jack Venisi is on this on this semi-finalist list. Oh, he well. is. I didn't see that. Yeah, your yeah. guy, Jack Benisi, who was the GM before there was actually a GM title yeah. in Green Bay. Yep. The um, business manager. Responsible for drafting all of those players in the in the late 50s and 1960 and eight Hall of Famers he drafted. Hugely influential in, in Packers history. It's good to see him on this list and our bias would say... Put him in. You be, because you could turn that in that contribution into what happened on the field. Yes. And I think yeah. that, you know, that, that again, our bias would say, I think he ought, <laughs> he ought to be in. You should write his uh, bio. What did he do? Because this only says scout for the Packers from 50 to 60, as well as business manager. And mention the eight Hall Famers that he helped draft. Terrible. You should do it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, as you mentioned, also on this list, Mike Holmgren. I think that Holmgren's borderline Hall of Fame. So we saw the guy from, remind me, the Pittsburgh coach. Bill, Bill Cowher, so, yeah. So Bill Cowher went into the Hall of Fame this year. And Holmgren's record is very comparable to that of Bill Cowher's. You know, and we forget, or some of us forget, that, of course, he took the Seahawks to a Super Bowl as well. as taking the Packers to two. I think had he won that Super Bowl with the Seahawks, then I think it would be a shoe and he would be in already. Because very few coaches have won. NFL championships with two teams. two teams. Yeah, I think the, for what he did with the Packers and was then very successful with the Seahawks, I think he's he's right there. There is another name on this list who has quite a big Packer connection. It's Eddie Kotel. I know he's up on this list of being scout for the Rams. 
in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and he's one of one of the first one of the first scouts to actually keep very detailed scouting reports on college players. But Eddie Kotel played for the Packers in the in the 20s. I don't know when his last year was, so it may have been even into the early 30s, but certainly played for the Packers in the 20s. Was one of the very last guys to play in the old leather helmets with no no face no face mask um, or anything. In fact. I might be wrong there. I think he may have been one of the last guys to play no helmet whatsoever. I need to check that. I'm pretty sure now I'm talking myself into that. I'm pretty sure he's one of the last guys to wear no helmet at all. I think (laughs) there's loads of photos of him, you know, from that period of time with just his hair flowing. and (laughs) That's crazy. Up to three of the senior players that we mentioned earlier can get in this year and for the next two years. They've changed the rules from one to three for the, for three years. And then one of these contributors, that which we which we talked about, can get in. So what happens next is that these semi-finalist lists are shortened to finalist lists um, in, Ju- in July and August, you know, down to I think it's 12, 12 for e- each section. And then eventually those become three and one, and then they go to the committee that goes to a nay or yay vote. Um, you want to pick the three? Who you think are going to make it? Why not? We've gone this. Why don't I pick? So I think that Lavi Dilweg makes it. There's okay. a little bit of bias there in me, but he's, like I say, for all the reasons that we talked about before, I think that Lavi Dilweg makes it. I think that Chuck Howley, who was the linebacker of the Cowboys, I think he makes it because I think he's been particularly unlucky not to get in thus far. The third one, from a personal perspective, I would like it to be Clay Matthews Jr. But I think I think Randy Gradishar was the middle linebacker for the Broncos through the, through the seventies and, and early eighties. Multiple Pro Bowler in his seven Pro Bowls in his ten year career. I think it's probably him if you know if three if three get him. I'm going to say Roger Craig. I think that. Jim Marshall, my guy. I'm very biased, but I think Jim Marshall makes it. And I do think Clay Matthews. I don't want to say I, I don't think right. he should, but I, I don't think right. he has. I hope I'm right, too, because, it, it, I mean, 20 years, 20 years in the league. Now, it's not – it's the Hall of Fame, right? And I am not a, like, let's throw everybody in the Hall of Fame guy. I am not that guy. In fact, I think there are people in the Hall of Fame who probably should not. I'm not saying that well. I think there are yeah. less, I think there are more qualified people not in the Hall of Fame compared to some that are. I guess that's probably a better way to say it. What about the one person? I'm going to say Lee Remo, even though I know he's not going to make it as a <laughs> contributor. I'm going to try to manifest that into happening. Lee Remo <laughs> in, the, yeah, in the Hall of Fame. I would love to see Lee Remo or Jack Benisi or Mike Honger, and I think they're all deserving. My suspicion, the one name that jumps out to me, if, if I'm really honest, is Don Coriel. Innovative. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, and I, I think that's the whole thing. And and you, and when you think of the Chargers, the then San Diego Chargers, you think of that offense and you think of that passing offense. And, and yeah, you think of the players and you think of Dan Fouts and you think of Kellen Winslow and you think of Charlie Joyner and and John Jefferson and Wes Chandler and all, and all of those guys. But it is Don Coriel's name that comes to comes to mind. So, so that's probably the one that jumps out at me. But you know, like the other list, all twenty nine of those are deserving guys. 
that's why I think Lee Remmel should make it because when you do something that no one has ever done or you yeah. create an idea, Coriel is the same thing. He, that yeah. offense was what the eighties and then everybody started doing. It's just like the West coast offense in the nineties. Yeah. Like there are certain trends that everybody follows and there's those guys should make the hall of fame because of that, because they changed the way the game was played in the era that they coached the game. All right. Anything else you want to talk about? We were supposed to talk about quarterbacks today, but let's let's not. I feel like we should leave that for another thing. In fact, I think we should just leave all of this for another day. <laughs> because that yeah, was, well, that's, that's, I mean, the episode just seems to have fallen into. That's been a great conversation. And I think that it's nice to be able to do our little bit to, to kind of, you know, just recognize, recognize all, all of these guys. Most of them aren't going to make the Hall of Fame, even though, most of them stroke, all of them should, you know, just num- pure numbers say they won't. So it's nice to be able to talk about these guys and reminisce a little bit and remind ourselves of of some of the players and, and, and good tr- contributors that actually, oh, yeah, I forgot about that guy. Or yeah. I thought that guy was already in. It's nice nice to talk about those guys. And, you know, going back to where we started, it's it's nice that there's a, a large representation of Packer-related people on this list and we'll keep our fingers crossed that one or more of them make it yeah so one more thing this just came to me a while back you talked about the hall of pretty good that you hall have of, from the hall of very good very good not pretty good jesus if they were pretty good they wouldn't be in no hall at all how does that work do they have to be removed off the senior list to be in the hall of very good no so so I mean, the, the Hall of Very Good, which is um, part of what the Professional Football Researchers Organization does, amongst, amongst many, many other things. Yeah, it has the, has the same rules in terms of eligibility. At the point that they're voted into the Hall of Very Good, they're not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So the idea was to recognise the very best players who weren't Pro Football Hall of Famers. If they subsequently get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they're not removed from the Hall of Very Good. They get an asterisk or whatever to say they're now in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But the whole idea of it was was really to recognise that next group of players, contributors, coaches, in the view of PFRA, either ought to be in the Hall of Fame or is in in that next group. So, you know, guys like Kenny Anderson that we've just talked about, he was inducted into the Hall of Very Good in 2011. You know, we looked down there, I mean, Lavi, Lavi Dilwig's on that list somewhere. So he was inducted in 2005. You know, Bobby Dillon was inducted in 2011 and got inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this this past year. But but yeah, so it kind of recognises all of those guys. Roger Craig's there. And so it's, it's that next group of players who hadn't at that point been inducted into the into the hall of fame and and it's selected through votes of members of the of the pfra every year we get a vote i get a vote and you get you get a list of the you know of the players that that are potentials it's a long it's a long it's a long list you get to vote and do the people ever go off the list so you could vote for the same guy till the end of time like they don't have to get a certain amount of votes in the Hall of Very Good to stay on the ballot or whatnot. No, no, Holy no. smokes, that's got to be a long list of people then. Yes, it is. Of course, players could come off, could potentially come off the list if they hadn't got voted into the Hall of Very Good, but could get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, then they would come off the come off the ballot. But sure. normally they make the Hall of 
very good before they go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame unless they're first ballot Hall of Famers. And there's quite a few Packers in, in that list. You know, I'm just scooting down the list now. You know, it's a couple of personal favourites of mine. Gail Gillingham's in, in there. Bill Forrester, who we've talked about when, when we did, you know, the, the numbers on our one of our previous podcasts. Chuck Howley, who we've mentioned a lot here, is on the list. Other Packers, Billy Houghton, Cecil Isbell's. Like I say, it's almost that list of the next guy's potential, next guy's potential Hall of Famers that haven't made the Hall of Fame yet. But All right. So I think that's it. Thanks for listening to episode 88 of the Average Cheese Podcast, the Ron Kramer episode. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.